Welcome to Aquafarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here and the supporting sponsor of Aquafarm, ETSU's Bill Gatt College of Pharmacy. Today we are going back to some landmark articles in head and neck cancer. Now, head and neck cancer is a confusing uh, malignancy for me to really wrap my head around. And um, so this is going to be focused mostly kind of on the drug therapy part of these landmark studies because um, this is a, um, a heterogeneous group of cancers anatomically. They're all squamous cell carcinomas, but anatomically, you've got oropharynx, you've got base of tongue, you've got some salivary glands, you've got uh, nasopharyngeal, and, and nowadays we think of head and neck cancers as um, nasopharyngeal, which is a very different kind of beast, which maybe we'll talk about in a different podcast and then non-nasopharyngeal cancers, which are, are heavily prevalent, more aggressive uh, in Asia. So when, we, when I'm saying head and neck cancer, for this purpose, we're talking about non-nasopharyngeal, often in the mouth, in the larynx, things like that. Um, and, and you know, the basic approach here is, uh, you know, surgery can be curative. Radiation is the most important treatment modality uh, outside of surgery, and then chemotherapy helps radiation work better. Standard drug, uh, best drug is cisplatin, and it's been high-dose cisplatin. And there, there's a lot of nuance um, based on do you do surgery and then radiation, do surgery, then chemoradiation, do you just do defensive chemoradiation right up the front? And that maybe makes the most sense if you have a lesion that is, say, non-surgically resectable. So say you have somebody who has a laryngeal lesion and uh, resection of that, uh, that lesion on their voice box might lead to to a permanent uh, mute state where the patient can no longer talk, uh, then maybe you do a definitive chemoradiation approach to hope that gives you your cure without needing surgery. And all this has to be done in a, a multidisciplinary fashion with the, the medical oncologist giving the chemo, the radiation oncologist delivering the radiation, and the ENT or surgical oncologist, whoever will be doing uh, the surgery. Okay, so that being said, now let's walk through kind of the approach that I take when I need to go back and review some of these landmark studies uh, to get up to speed. So this is kind of targeted for those, those of you who are current residents. So there was a recent um, phase two non-inferiority study in head and neck cancer uh, out of Japan, uh, JCOG uh, 1008. And this was a phase two study looking at uh, kind of um, high risk patients with head and neck cancer so these are patients who, uh, you know, after surgery, uh, typically high risk means they either have um, uh, capsular extension in the, in the lymph nodes or the margins are positive, right? So then after these folks get surgery, they get chemo and radiation. And um, the standard of care uh, had been um, uh, 100 milligrams per meter squared of cisplatin every three weeks for three doses along with radiation. Uh, and I kind of, you know, kind of knew that. And this was looking at this, this JCOG study was looking at, can we do uh, 40 milligrams weekly of cisplatin, 40 milligrams per meter squared, kind of what you see in cervical cancer, adjuvant chemoradiation treatment. Uh, and it was really impressive, a hazard ratio of 0.69. It's a, it's a non-inferiority study that almost proves superiority, or even does prove superiority. No, it almost, almost proves superiority for the low-dose weekly cisplatin. Um, which, you know, could be because there's better drug delivery. You could look at that study for those details. But um, when I see something like this, um, then I'm like, gosh, I, you know, it's, it's a Japanese study. I know that maybe that can't be different in that patient population than here. How do I 
how do I make sense of this if it's a disease state I'm uncomfortable with, which I kind of am with head and neck cancer. Uh, well, this study was, was published online early a few weeks ago, maybe even a month ago. And then recently, uh, there's an editorial by some people smarter than I. And so this editorial is written by D. Neil Hayes and Gleistein and Schwartz uh, from uh, all the way on the other side of my state in Memphis, Tennessee. And what they do is they do a really nice job uh, in, in like three pages, uh, giving you kind of the backstory, right? And, and so they're... Uh, you know, what they're saying about this JCOG study is, you know, the, the, the point estimate, as they call it, right, the hazard ratio of 0.69 looks great favoring the, the lower dose weekly cisplatin. However, very wide confidence interval, as they point out, uh, which is a, a, an astute point. But they also give you the background and they give you two citations uh, the, um, of where we got this 100 milligram per meter squared with radiation after curative resection for locally advanced head and neck cancer. One is the Eortic 22931 study. It's a European oncology uh, research and treatment of cancer trial. And then an intergroup study, uh, which is uh, intergroup means you take uh, some SWOG, some ECOG, some other stuff, and you add it together. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a R, it's a RTOG, ECOG, and SWOG all combined together. If that doesn't mean anything to you, it's okay. The OG is oncology group, all right? Just collaborative research groups. And the intergroup combines all those together. So these two landmark studies published in 2004, and I was like, okay, let's go back and look at this. And I have the weirdest feeling of deja vu, like I have already done this podcast. And if I ha if I have, I apologize. Or if I mentioned it before, and this is redundant, I apologize. We're getting on four to five years of this podcast here, so it's you know things are starting to blur together. So these are the landmark articles we're going to talk about: this Eortic 22931 and this uh, this intergroup study. Um, Coincidentally, both of these were published May 6th, 2004 in the New England Journal of Medicine, the exact same publication date, um, or the exact same issue of the NEJM. Today is May 5th, so tomorrow is May 6th, so this is 18 years ago, almost to the day, if you listen to this, uh, the day after it's released. So let's say I liked it, let's go back to May 6th, 2004, uh, and if you Google that date, the first thing that you will find is today was the series finale of a little show called Friends, uh, which was part of the must-see TV lineup on NBC here in the US. Um, even those of you who are younger folks apparently seem to have caught up on Friends on, on Netflix. I, I remember watching this live, it was a big deal. It was like finals week or the week before finals week. Uh, I was, uh, I guess, a P, uh, I was finishing my first or second year of pharmacy school this year, okay? Uh, there's a great appearance by one of my favorite Pearl Jam songs, Yellow Leadbetter, in this series finale. It was actually my, uh, back in these days in college, you would pay like a dollar to have um, your favorite song as your ringtone. So I had Yellow Leadbetter as my ringtone. So to this day, if I hear Yellow Leadbetter by Pearl Jam, I, I have this sort of reaction, is my phone ringing? Uh, the number one movie in America at this time was Mean Girls, which is just a wonderful movie, hilarious. The number one song, a little ditty called Yeah, by Usher, featuring Lil Jon, right? Really popular in the club uh, back in those days. Number 19 song in America was Selling Exor by Britney Spears. And on this date, May 6th, the Cubs beat the Arizona Diamondbacks 11-3. Matt Clement got the win. He went seven strong innings, and Derek Lee hit a home run, one of my favorite Cubs. Okay, so let's look at these. All right, so these are um, head and neck cancers. 
and it's going to be hard to make intertrial comparisons. Of, of course, you're not supposed to do that. But the baseline demographics here are, are not even reported in the same way. So first, let's go with this Yordic study. Um, and they are, um, this is a, a European study. First thing I want to point out, their inclusion criteria, baseline crane of 1.36 or less, which is just ridiculous. Give me a creatinine clearance. Uh, patients receive prophylactic hydration. Uh, no mention of, you know, did were they mantle folks or not uh, in Europe? Uh, so we've got, uh, you know, a little over 300 patients here. 90 plus percent are male, which makes sense because we know that smoking, drinking uh, is what tends to, to lead to this. Uh, resection margin status was positive in 28% um, in, in this study. That wasn't even reported in the other study. They actually had to go back and do a post hoc analysis to determine any impact of that. Now, one thing that I'll point out, we're talking about 100 milligrams of cisplatin with concurrent radiation, right? Almost all these folks need a feeding tube put in because they're gonna have such bad esophagitis and mucositis, they cannot even maintain liquid uh, oral intake uh, and they end up getting dehydrated and they lose all the weight, so they need a feeding tube. And so it's a hard regimen to, to, uh, to adhere to. To that point in this aortic study, only 49% got dose three delivered on time. So some of those folks didn't get dose three or they had, had to be uh, delayed. So we do see a statistically significant uh, improvement in progression-free survival. We're talking three-year PFS rates, uh, 42% if you're getting, um, uh, you know, 42% are alive without disease progression three years later. That's 58% if you look at the Kapmeyer curves in the combined therapy group. Um, although that, that curve kind of drops a little bit over time there, where it's already plateaued. So if you look at the you know, five, six years, you don't maybe see a difference in progression-free survival maybe on a landmark analysis. Overall survival, statistically significant, 50% versus 64% at a three-year landmark kind of eyeball test. The hazard ratio there is 0.7 uh, with a p-value of 0.04 uh, for the log rank test. So, so you do see this overall survival benefit in the uh, Yordic study. Now, when you look at the intergroup study, which again is a combination of three different American oncology cooperative groups, the Eastern uh, Cooperative Oncology Group, the Southwestern o Oncology Group, and then the Radiation Therapy Oncology Group, uh, ROTOG. So I'll spend a little bit more time uh, on this. So we've got a, a larger number of patients here. We've got 450 patients. By the way, the radiation, you're talking 60 to 66 gray, are the units here, in 30 to 33 fractions or doses, uh, over six to 6.6 .6 weeks, um, uh, along with that 100 milligrams per meter squared of cisplatin. And lots of times when you look in in references, it will say 100 milligrams per meter squared of cisplatin with radiation on days 1, 22, and 43. And it's just every three weeks times three cycles is, I think, easier uh, to, uh, to remember. Now, um, here they had a, you know, a median follow-up of you know, almost four years. You do see um, a statistically significant difference in recurrence-free survival. The, um, local or, reg or regional recurrence has a ratio of 0.61. Um, statistically significant. Uh, and the two-year landmark analysis as far as rate of local and regional recurrence was 82% versus 72%. So that's like a number needed tree of 10, which is relatively small. It's a large effect size uh, to prevent a, a recurrence locally two years later. However, there was no difference uh, in overall survival uh, noted here. A um, couple interesting things about this. Karnofsky performance test of 60 was required, which is uh, pretty low, uh, probably equivalent to maybe an ECOG-2. Uh, inclusion criteria, credit clearance of 50 or more, which is uh, pretty pretty liberal there. 
uh, hydration was prescribed, they don't mention that. Um, they do give you some nice dose reductions here. So again, if you're wondering how do we dose reduce, I tend to try to dose reduce in the curative setting, which this is the way they did it in the study. So for cisplatin, for example, uh, you know, it was, the treatment was held if ANC was below 1,000, platelets below 75. We often think maybe ANC 1,500 platelets of 100 as hold parameters. For this, in the curative setting, uh, they did ANC of 1,000 and platelets of 75. Uh, the cisplatin dose was reduced 40% if neurotoxicity occurred. The grade there is not defined. Uh, and decreased the dose 25% to 75 per meter squared if the creatinine clearance dropped to 40. And if the creatinine clearance dropped below 40, then uh, cisplatin was, was discontinued. Um, they do uh, give us here, uh, oh, they do give us positive margins here, um, 19 and 17%. So, so fewer positive margins here. They don't, we don't get, uh, you know, extracapsular invasion, which I'll, I'll re, uh, revisit. 86% uh, male uh, in this study. Uh, and again, this doesn't include, at least American study, no one uh, with cancers of the nasopharynx. Most common cancers, uh, oral cavity, oral pharynx, uh, and then some others fill in the gaps uh, from there. Uh, most of these folks had a Karnofsky performance status of 80 and above as well, so reasonably fit patients. Um, when you look at the disease-free survival, I kind of alluded to this, you know, the three-year landmark looks like, you know, 40 versus 50. The two years about that same 10% absolute benefit in local or regional recurrence. Um, of the, um, the 125 patients, that's a that's all that received all three cycles of cisplatin, 61%. So you see here, there's a lot of attrition in this. And that, that, that's the, the, not the holy grail, but that's the hope with all these. And there are several of these described in this editorial by, by Hayes that I mentioned earlier. There are lots of these studies that are trying to figure out, can we do lower weekly doses of cisplatin? Uh, because, uh, you know, a higher dose is probably more effective than a lower dose, but if the drug cannot be delivered because it's too toxic. You know, a drug not given is a drug that cannot work. Um, and, and that's, uh, they, they do a nice job in this edit editorial uh, talking about a, a big future study that's hopefully coming down the pipeline. Now, one thing that you don't notice in any of these baseline demographics is HPV status, which we did not know the prognostic importance of HPV positivity that those folks have a better prognosis and a slower disease, okay? Now, while this intergroup U.S. study did show a statistically significant improvement in progression-free survival or local relapse, uh, it did not show a difference in overall survival, although you're still seeing a 60 versus 50% numerical difference. That still, you still at delta of 10% at three years. The hazard ratio here uh, was, was not statistically significant. You know, your p-value is 0.19. Now, the curves do cross in that first year. And so that can throw off your hazard ratio. If they had designed this as a landmark analysis, maybe they do see that. Uh, and in fact, the, the lead author on this study is, um, uh, no, not this study, sorry, the European study, the lead author is Bernier. And Bernier and colleagues went back and did um, a, a post-talk analysis uh, where they determined, uh, and again, we, we talked about this with, with many of these studies is, you know, if we see, uh, some that there's say a modest benefit of a regimen. There are some patients who maybe are the most likely to benefit. If we can identify who are the patients most likely to, to benefit, then we can prioritize giving it to those folks 
and the folks that don't get it can be avoided toxic therapy. This is the whole point of, you know, Oncotype DX and adjuvant breast cancer treatment. So, so Bernier went back and determined that the two, two factors that determined who was going to benefit from this high dose uh, chemo radiation, high dose chemo with concurrent radiation after surgical resection with the hope of cure were these two factors, extra capsular lymph node extension and a positive margin status. And that remains today in our favorite guidelines as the high risk factors for folks that uh, after they've had surgical resection, should they get chemo and radiation as opposed to just radiation uh, alone. So those are the landmarks in Oncopharm that we uh, have discussed today. Thank you all for listening. Um, you can follow uh, follow me on Twitter at FarmDDip, and you can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.